Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You listen to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 in 98.1 FM. And some people don't listen to our show, and they can watch it, by the way, on Facebook Live. We also have a podcast version, but Ask Brian Radio Show has now been going on for over five years, and January 8th was our five-year anniversary. And everybody still wants to know, even after five years, why do you have a show called Ask Brian? Your name is Peter. Your co-host is Tracy. I've used Alex, Lindsay, a whole bunch of other people. No one was ever named Brian. Why are you Ask Brian? What does it mean? So everyone who has never listened to the show, we want to explain that to you. So if you've listened to the show, you probably know. Now, we have a very, very unusual situation here. Unusual. We actually have Patrick. Hey, Hi, everybody. In the house. And that's because he's St. Patty's Day. That was um, last week. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And who was not here? Uh, well, I mean, you guys weren't here. I that's was right. here. And we said for St. Patty's Day, you mm-hmm. have to have St. Patty. So we're going to have St. <laughs> Patty here. His mom was really impressed. Wow, he's a saint. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, neither so- did I. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while. Neither did anyone. Neither did anyone else. Uh, <laughs> Try to empathize, Tracy. Come on. <laughs> so let's go. Why? Why do we have a show called Ask Brian? When I'm Peter, you're Patrick. This is Emily. I mean, there's no one br- named Brian. Why are we Ask Brian? Well, I don't know why we're Ask Brian. I mean, it could be like I think that's the domain. You just I personally like the Ask Milt one that you that you told me about. Let's I go. think it should be like more like Find Waldo. <laughs> Find Waldo. But there's a number of themes that have to do with the Ask Brian show. We got those. That's right. And that's why we spell Brian with an E. Yep. Not with an I A N. Mm-hmm. Not with a Y A N. And by the way, mm-hmm. if you spell Brian B R I A N and you take the letters I and A and switch them out, what do you have? Brain. Oh, I guess so. That's that, right. That's true. And that's probably why we don't spell it I A N. Well, maybe you just can't spell. I can spell. Me too. See, Emily can spell too. So why do we use the have the letter E in Brian? Well, there's a number of words that I mean, start with Mr. E. O'Brien, Patrick O'Brien. Oh my goodness! I knew a Patrick from, O'Brien. Are you from Dublin? Way. No, from Santa Clarita. to thank you. Um, but no, there's a number and of. Do you eat Lucky Charms? <laughs> I mean, yes, I do. Because they have some leprechaun. They're magically delicious, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Especially if you drink you, the iced tea that we have. All right, go ahead. Hey, you, you realize he's never going to give you a break. It doesn't matter no, if you got a promotion. It doesn't matter that you moved on, that you do this for us as a favor. You're never going to get a break. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm well aware. Well, uh, he can get a break. He just has to go to Burger King. <laughs> oh, my God. Have a break today. What? Go ahead. Wow. Anyways, there's a number of words that start with an E that have to kind of like are the themes of Ask Brian. One of them is excitement, which we get very excited on the show, and enthusiasm. Uh-huh. Enthusiasm! Woo, woo, woo! There we go. There's that. Oh, hey, I, I can't hear a little bit. I have a new one. I have a new one. It's excedrin. 
I, I lost a little bit of hearing f- from that, but uh, I- I'm going to assume everything's okay. I thought I thought you were going to say eccentric, but that's okay. No one here is eccentric. No, I'm, 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 I'm okay at being eccentric. I think I'm eccentric. Okay, um, first of all, I'm very eccentric, but I also now need an excedrin because you <laughs> shouted so loud. A double me on that one too, Trace. <laughs> we also have. Experts, because everybody that appears on the Ask Brian show is an expert in their field. And what are you an expert in? Engineering, talking, and communication. Well, even though- wow, wow, wow. Okay. And being funny. Uh, that was not funny, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Um, this is one uh, that he was not very empathetic, so empathy is another one. But when you said ouch, ouch is not spelled with an E. Ouch. You're, you're correct, but that has so nothing to do with it. <laughs> It's um, so, Patty. Yes. Patty, I have something for you. Yeah. So I'm never, I never go to Peter's defense about empathy, but he actually showed empathy to me this week, and really? I have to say, like, it was rare, and it was a rare occasion, but it happened. So he gets kudos for empathy this week. Woo woo woo! Oh, that's God. that's a clap and a snap for Peter. Let's I don't want to hear. And where is your clap? You got <laughs> a clap? Know. You got nothing? <laughs> I'm too stressed to do that right now, Peter. Stressed with an S, not an E. (laughs) But it does have an E in it. And then uh, the other is experience, because our experts that appear on S. Brian are very experienced in uh, their field, too. Well, there's two big categories you haven't got to yet. Well, I know there's education, because we're a very educational talk show. And we are educated. And we are educated. Bingo. Some of us are educated. Some of us just like to eat the Fruit Loops and the uh, Lucky Charm. Now... I have a college degree, sir, so I'm definitely on the educated side. They're really good. So. They are really good, too. Why not have both? Well, that's no, that's more like Raisin Bran. Two scoops. <laughs> raisin raisin Bran? Two oh. scoops of Raisin Bran. He <laughs> <laughs> said Raisin Oh, my God. I I really, this is all starting to go downhill so fast, and we have such a great guest. Just, just wait, just wait until doing. I get the Kellogg. Yes, but we're going to end up with a Kellogg sponsorship, so don't... Uh... Uh, the, the last E is my name, which is no, Emily. No, no. Thank you very much. That, nice. that's, Great to be here. We save, we save, <laughs> no, we save Emily for the last. We, we are like uh, um, and Ted. Oh, wait, excellent excellent adventure. Because we exude nothing but excellence. excellence. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Okay. Well, I want to say my favorite one. I want to say my favorite one. Go for it, it, Trace. It came came from the movie Grease because we are electrifying. Oh, yeah. That's That's the one I heard a couple weeks ago. It's electrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and without any further ado, and why don't I like that word? A D I E U. No, you spelled it. Oh. I said, I like it. <laughs> it's we're out of order here. Well, you like it because every single letter minus the D is a vowel. <laughs> I'm so used to just the other way around. And what do I do for a living? I take depositions. And what do I try to do? Mix the facts around. Yes, you do. Right. You got, right. He got me, ladies and gentlemen. He got me. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Of course. That was because he wasn't here for St. Patrick's Day <laughs> because we did a rerun. So without any further ado. I don't want to mispronounce her name. I believe it's Ramnita. Is that correct, or am I but- butchering it? Oh, I totally butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's Renita. Renita. It two E's. Yes, it has two E's in it, but unfortunately, they don't start the name. You know, they're not uh, right at the beginning. So I'm not as worthy as Emily or Brian with an E. <laughs> well, we could have put the E's from Renita into as Brian. So now we. Do have to get a little serious now, so 
many, many people don't know who you are. So we want to go a little bit about your background. So before we get into your present business and, and try to help people and educate people on business. So how did you start your business career? That is such a loaded question. Um, you know, in some ways, I feel like I've just been there all my life. I'm just going to say, before I directly answer the question, just on the whole topic of ease, I've got one for you. I am an entrepreneur of episodes about everyday experience. That's four E's. So, <laughs> just want to put that out there. Everything <laughs> um, except for, oh, but go ahead. Yeah. So let's see. I grew up in a business family, so we discussed this on the dinner table and breakfast and lunch as well, alas. So it was always expected, you know, that everybody in the family would at some point in their life start a business, run a business, do a business, something of the sort. And uh, my very first business, I started, ah, I want to say, oh, this is really going to date me, but I am not afraid of that because I'm 5,000 years old. Uh, <laughs> so I started it about 30 years ago. It was an Ayurvedic wellness business. Ayurveda is to South Asia as Chinese medicine is to China. It is the holistic health and wellness system of South Asia. So just about as low-tech as you could get. And those were the days that the Internet was just about beginning. Forget phones or digital world. I mean, it was just the Internet. And I remember my husband asking me, new husband at the time, he was like, is there a way to get your Ayurvedic business onto the Internet, this thing called the Internet? And I was like, this is a low-tech business. That is a high-tech world. The two, you know, couldn't be further apart. What is your problem? Leave me alone. <laughs> um, I like the attitude, by the way. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's the only way to sort of survive. You know, I'm all about sort of keeping the marriages together, and that means leave him alone. Leave her alone. <laughs> Might be the best advice of the show so far, but maybe the whole best advice of the whole show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That and don't work together whatever you do. <laughs> not even by mistake, not even to fill in for anybody else for a day or a moment. <laughs> or in case what happened to me this week, you don't text the text is meant for your husband to who you work with, Peter. Oh, um, whoa, whoa. What do you mean when you're when you intend to when you intend to send a text to your husband, don't send it to who you work with, which is what I did. Peter received my text that I was supposed to send to Tracy, my husband. Tracy, this is a family show, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a it was a family text. But it was still embarrassing. <laughs> Peter now knows how much I love him. Peter now knows how much I love and miss him every day. <laughs> there you go. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Tracy, because like so many times when you work with a business partner or a co-host, and I have been in this situation, your male, you know, female and a male co-host, you see as much of them or more, actually, probably, than you do your own spousal partner. So it's like you get confused. It's like, you know, which hat am I wearing or am I wearing a hat at all? You know? Yeah, um, I just got the text. I just got the text messages mixed up. She just got the text messages mixed up. I thought, okay. And by the way, when you talked about working together, I thought Tracy was going to talk about her husband and his podcast, but that's okay. No, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Renita today. I just had to interject that. No. <laughs> So anyway, after I sold my first business, which was called Ayoma, uh, Ayoma, the name comes from Ayurveda plus Om, uh, a natural health and wellness business, then I was tired. 
for, you know, a, you know, I never tired because entrepreneur, I mean, it takes a lot, as you know. So I was exhausted and happy that I sold the business at a profit, make some cash, kind of sitting on the couch. And then back to this same husband, he's like, you know, you've been sitting on the couch for a while. Are you like <laughs> ever going to get up off the couch? And I'm like, what is your problem? I just got some cash through the door. Like the last I knew you were spending some of it as well. So why are you railing on me? He's like, no, you know, we know what you get like when you've got nothing to do. You just start annoying everyone. So, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to get a life. And so marital advice from entrepreneurs. Yeah. This is the new episode title for this. Marital advice for entrepreneurs. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Exactly. And if the marital and, advice um, fails, I, I do divorce law, so I'm, I'm all set. Go ahead. Yeah. I was part of these various organizations, Tithe and this Entrepreneurs Organization Club, all this kind of stuff. And, they, you know... I was living in San Francisco at that time, and so Silicon Valley, it's very much about the tech entrepreneur, and there's this whole joke, you know, that everybody's a serial entrepreneur. Once you're an entrepreneur, you're always an entrepreneur, and I thought, well, heck no. I mean, I'm not going to, it was very tiring. I'm going to not be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go, you know, work for companies, and then I spent many years working inside other businesses, but of course, uh, my job was always completely entrepreneurial and I only really thrive in environments where I can basically take the show and run with it. So whether that was working on public radio where we had no funding and we're on strap for cash and you've got to do everything from create the show, host the show, produce the show, syndicate the show, get sponsorship money and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was an entrepreneurial activity, so to speak. I then, you know, went to work for an audio tech company, which had, it was a startup. And I thought, you know, I've hit middle age and, you know, people don't hire people into startups in their middle age and not certainly in Silicon Valley. So I got to do this. Plus it was in my space, audio tech, and ended up sort of just taking the company under my wing, building it, selling it, cashing out then went to work for a nonprofit. Now, I've never worked for a nonprofit before, so I thought, okay, this is something different. I'm a bored human being. Might as well try it. Ended up basically running sales and marketing and rebranding and recreating all of the digital transformation, you know, of it's not a company. It's, it's an organization. It's a nonprofit. And also marrying them with their future partner, which is a big Japanese bank, Nomura, to basically re-strategize and refocus their business operations to bring Silicon Valley technology to corporate Japan. Very specific, but good marriage between the two. So I did that and then left. <laughs> and then said, okay, you know what? I think it's time for me to sort of go back into my own entrepreneurial activities. Um, I've had a long history of storytelling. Tracy knows this already. I have Worked in newsrooms, I've done lots of nonfiction um, news, that is, but also fiction. So I've written books which are nonfiction, and I've written books uh, which are fiction novels as well. And for all of the media experience that I've had, I've been wanting to do, I had been wanting to do a podcast, my own podcast, for a very long time, but it was always put on the back burner and, and that kind of thing. And then uh, I had created and produced a podcast that was based upon a YA fantasy fiction story that I wrote. So I released that. That's one entrepreneurial effort. 
The other podcast that I created is something that really marries my nonfiction side with my fiction side to explore where fiction comes from, the True Fiction Project. And I have a tech app. It's a storytelling app called Chapter by Episode, which uh, is really what I'm calling pulp fiction for the digital age. Short stories that look like graphic novels divided up into chapters, further divided up into episodes targeted towards uh, the Gen Z audience. So these are my various entrepreneurial activities right now. You know, I could go on all day, but I'm sure you have, uh, you know, other things you want to talk about. Yeah. So what is your current, currently, what is your big project right now that you have? So honestly, I divide my time between these three that I have just mentioned. They're all very much at growth stages. Shadow Realm, which is my narrative fiction uh, podcast based upon a story that I wrote, uh, that I would say is, is just looking like it's going to turn into sort of a much bigger project activity effort, just business, because there's suddenly a lot of interest in it. It's been, you know, I, I produced season one myself. It has now been picked up by an audio platform. We're negotiating terms to produce season two and three, take it out there. There's interest from other media to make it into a game, possibly a film as well and also to release it as an audio series in Hindi for India and, and South Asia, actually, beyond that. So I would say that's probably my biggest project right now. So how, how did you, well, like, so for instance, somebody has a podcast. How do they go from podcast to, uh, you know, not Oprah, but how, how do they go through that process? You know, how does somebody go from a podcast to that? Yeah, I mean, I've got the same question, to be honest. In so far, what I'm discovering is, you know, the podcast in itself has got to be interesting. The show's got to be appealing. And you also got to be in the right place at the right time and target the right audience at the right time. I mean, this is something I'm sure we could all talk about a lot more, perhaps after the break. But like my late father used to say, it's 99% luck and 1% bloody good luck. (laughs) I prefer, I prefer the bloody good luck, but what is your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge? How do you go from calling an entrepreneurial activity a project to a business? That is the biggest challenge, I think. When you make revenue. Yeah. Well, not everybody is aware of this, but Tracy has a big, big event right now, and uh, she's on assignment. At, what is that called? What's, what's the event? So I am... Broadcasting live from Podcast Movement Evolutions in downtown Los Angeles, where there's a, a collaborative conference of industry professionals, creators, and independent podcasters. So that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have Renita as our guest, because she's doing some really great things with both of her podcast projects, and she is here at the conference as well. So we are excited to be here as part of the podcast, representing Podcast Evolutions here on the Ask Brian radio show. Notice how that evolutions in twice because it starts with an E. But yes, it's a great, <laughs> great conference. <laughs> but speaking of evolution, though, though, what you were saying before the break, you were talking about projects to entrepreneurship, you know, I'm going to call it project to profit because what Peter was saying was you can tell the difference between it being a project and a business when there's revenue and ultimately profit. But I think it's such a great thing to talk about because so many people start out either as solo entrepreneurs 
They have challenged failing businesses with systems. Some people start out with consultancy businesses, side hustles, projects on the side. So what kind of recommendation could you give, Renita, to someone who maybe is starting either like a, a solo business, a practitioner, a consultant, and then they need to implement or scale that so it moves beyond the side hustle project stage into a profitable business model? Yeah, absolutely. So, Tracy, firstly, I love that project to profit. I think that I'm, going, I'm just going to adopt that as a tagline if for nothing else than just, you know, put it on my mental whiteboard every day and look at it, project to profit. Because I feel like that, that is my aspirational journey. <laughs> um, at all points in life, uh, to your point, so I remember back in the day when I first started my very first business, I was, you know, uh, okay, it was a long time ago, so I was much younger, more naive. I just knew less. And I was very hung up on the fact, uh, on, on several facts, uh, you know, about the fact that I had to have everything together. I had to have this perfect business plan, this perfect office, this perfect business card, all these things, which, sure, I mean, it's nice to have those, but you don't really need them. And why I say you don't really need them is because, you know, it is very, very easy for an unseasoned entrepreneur to spend money in the wrong areas, to build up the overheads and run out of cash or just minimize the cash that they have to work with by spending it on things that may not be necessary. So had I a choice, to go back to those days, uh, you know, based upon what I know now and all the years since, I would have taken that same amount of money and just spent it on marketing, hustling, and not even marketing, but more like I would say guerrilla sales. Now, it's not that I didn't do any guerrilla sales at that point. I did. I, I full well remember it's always been me, uh, you know, wearing multiple hats, sort of hitting the doors, selling, 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 you know, trying to get the business, trying to get the deal. But then, like I said, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is not the right way to do things. I should have an office. I should have a, you know, I should, you know, fly to a place and have a meeting. And today, of course, we weren't operating in a virtual world and a digital world those days. So it's a little bit easier said than done. But today, as I start new projects, and many of them I have started as side hustles, I just start them and sink the resources into what absolutely needs to be done to get this show on the road. So whether that's producing the podcast, you know, actually creating it, putting together a tech app, so basically paying the developers to get that done, because the other things I can do myself, right? I can do the marketing, I can do the publicity, I can do the roadshow selling aspect of it, at least until I can generate some business, enough business to be able to justify outsourcing that. So that's what I would suggest. Of course, what I would also suggest, I should say, is do not be like me in that take on three projects at the same time. I have a bad habit of doing that kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but in your credit and in the defense of all entrepreneurs, isn't that just part of our DNA? Like, I think to tell an entrepreneur that they can't do more than one thing at one time would just be almost to say that, you know, you just can't do anything because it is, I think it's part of that visionary process that we go through. Well, I sort of, I've got two reasons that I'm going to give, the reason that I give everyone, and 
This is not a joke. This is true. I will do anything to get away from my nuclear family because they are <laughs> pain in the butt. <laughs> So they they put the fun and dysfunction is what you're saying. There you go. There you go. And um, honestly speaking, the busier I am, the happier they are. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship, you know. But the other thing is, you know, when you are an entrepreneur, one of the biggest entrepreneurial premises and words, and unfortunately it doesn't begin with E, but it begins with R, like my name, Renita. But this is risk, right? It's taking that risk. And the thing is, we know there are certain cliches, businesses are doomed to fail, and then from failure, you know, you, you learn all these things, and you keep going until you finally, you know, achieve that success in something else. The thing is, you got to take the risk, but you don't know what is going to work. So it's kind of, I think, about a juggler, you know, juggling these different balls, throwing these balls up, you know, in the air, not knowing which one is going to land. So it's a little bit of that. I don't think that anyone should do too much that they overstretch themselves, get overwhelmed, and can't efficiently focus on one thing. But I will admit that I have a tendency to try a few different things, you know, juggle a few different balls because I don't know which one's going to land. And one of the things that you spoke about that I think is really interesting to dig a little bit deeper in is the way that you framed it. It was really around putting a business face forward with the things that you think that you need to have, like maybe a branding, aesthetics, business plan type, you know, physical office spaces, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. But, and then the, the, then there were things that you could do yourself. So where yeah. do you, what lessons have you learned in around delegating and kind of taking things off your plate to, it seems to be such a fine line between what to take off your plate to grow your business, but at the same time to, save those monies so that you are saving your cash flow resources. So where does that whole pennywise dollar foolish boundary come in yeah. when you think about delegation? Such a great question, Tracy. Uh, oh my gosh. So I am, let's see, I've had about 30 years, 25, 30 years of industry experience and the, the industry or the industries, you know, Things keep changing. Like I said, when I started out, there was no, no such thing as the internet. The internet in, it, in and of itself was pretty much just starting. So the world has evolved and the business world has evolved with it. I mean, what you learn in business school today is totally different from 30 years ago. And anything that is skills-based, I mean, the skills themselves keep changing, the software, the programs, that kind of stuff. So I am a glutton for new things, new experiences, love learning and have over the course of years put myself into courses, courses where I can learn this, I want to learn this now, you know, so that I can apply it in my life or my business. And sure, that's great, something to be said for that. Hopefully it will, you know, keep the uh, amnesia away and, you know, that kind of thing. But then also, uh, I think there does come a time and, you know, in life when you realize that while you want to keep learning, There is something to be said for hiring or outsourcing or paying for the skills of somebody else who can do it better than you can. So why try and reinvent the wheel by learning it from scratch and doing it and applying it? You may enjoy that process, but it's going to work a lot slower and more inefficiently for you and your business 
rather than if you hired someone else or you outsourced it to someone else or you, you basically hired those skills outside. So that's what I think I would do, what I do do now, do do? <laughs> if that answers your question. No, it does. And I just think, um, you know, one of the things that we don't have an opportunity on the show to really dig into as much as I would personally like because the nature of my business, I do work with a lot of creatives, but I also mm-hmm. work with a lot of business people. And I would love to just have you share some of your experience about the struggles of essentially being a right brain and a left brain entrepreneur because you are a creator, you are a writer, you are a visionary, you are a, you are a business person, you've grown businesses, scaled businesses, sold businesses. So what do you find to be particularly challenging in terms of balancing that creative spirit side of entrepreneurship and the business side of entrepreneurship? Oh my gosh, Tracy, you just got all the great questions. <laughs> Um, seriously and so I think being in a creative business is fun 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 it just like you said feeds both sides of your brain so that's that's a no-brainer but with that comes a whole you know share of difficulties and I find that you know if I'm to sort of generalize here creative people just want time to be left to be creative you know I'll take hours and most of those hours are spent just me thinking in the business world there is no time for that right you have got to deliver otherwise you run out of time you run out of cash you run out of the audience gets fed, fed up of you and goes somewhere else you know whatever it may be so One of the things I'm working on right now, as I mentioned earlier, is my narrative fiction podcast, which is a story. It's very creative. It's sound designed. It's, you know, it's a show. It's an audio drama. And uh, I have a collaboration partner who I am just negotiating terms with to pick it up and develop season two and three. But they've got a specific objective. They've already said, okay, we want to release season two by this date. A, B, C, D, and E needs to be done. If I am to sort of deliver to those terms, I have got to be super organized, right? So I can't sort of get lost in my creativity, which is something I would love to do, or, you know, I can't let my team members also get lost in their creativity and think about, oh, what's the most perfect sound element? You know, we've got to basically almost outline it like you would outline a I don't want to say a term paper in college, but, you know, have a very specific set of objectives. So even as we write the story, write the script, we already know what we're going to write. It's like we're filling in the blanks with the dialogue and, and, and the sound design pieces so that it could be done very efficiently. We need to think out into season three to see what of that we can capture and record at the same time in the studio so that, uh, you know, on a production basis, you know, we keep the costs down, we get things done. And one of the things we very briefly, I think, talked about, touched on before we got on radio today was membership is like, how do you create extra content, um, you know, for a membership audience? and Specifically, that may not be released. So again, what's the plan? We, we need to create stuff to release, but then I need to create extra stuff for later, which goes to a special audience. So um, that discipline, I think, is, is really important in a creative business, in any business, but certainly in a creative business, Tracy. 
Yes, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that you touched on that I really want to highlight is that you do walk this fine line be, in terms of where do you find the time to stay creative? So you're you're continuing to innovate while at the same time you're having to do things that might not that might even be an inhibitor to your creativity, like the organizational piece and the planning piece and the budget pieces and things like that. Like some people, just their entire energy just gets zapped when they even have to think about it, much less execute on it. Mm. So, you know, I, I applaud you for really being able to hone in and deliver on both sides of that. So one of the things, a common thing that I'm also hearing you say that I really want to focus on as well and point out for people who are thinking about launching and growing or taking their business to the next level is that you, and I know this about you personally because I'm less than grateful enough to have the opportunity to work directly with you, which has been a fabulous experience just for myself, but you are really, really great at reaching out to people and asking, well, I I mean, asking for help is one thing, but also just being so resourceful in terms of asking for guidance, I think would, would be more of the term that I would use and how I would describe you. I feel like you're really exceptional at not only making connections in a network, which are so important, but also asking for guidance. Can you share about, you know, your feelings about that? Do you have reservations? Do you get nervous? Do you just plow through? Like, and then how do you find the resources to, to ask for guidance? Because I think that's also a big challenge entrepreneurs have. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there was a time in my life, Tracy, where I thought about, you know, feeling nervous, maybe because I felt nervous then, <laughs> you know, I thought, oh my God, but how can I, how can I, that's so awkward, how can you ask someone, and you know what, what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that the person totally ghosts you, ignores you, or the person comes back to you and says, no, back off. Okay, if I'm going to be offended for life and just feel really small, I learned to get over that (laughs) because I've been told no plenty, plenty. Rejection has been sort of my mantra for sort of, not my mantra, but the month on the receiving end for for years. So as a result, though, you, you become hardened and you become seasoned and you become of the mind that, you know, I can go after anything because like the worst is that I just don't get it. So why should I be afraid to ask? And I have found that that has stood me in good stead when it comes to networking, when it comes to asking for help. Like I said earlier, there's just a lot of stuff that I don't know, either technically or experience-wise or topic-wise. So I'm a curious person, and, um, you know, curiosity didn't kill the cat, as far as I know, <laughs> so far. <laughs> <laughs> not, so, yet. Uh, unless, not yet. Unless it happens in one of your fictional... True fiction narrative stories. I think the cat's still good. Exactly, exactly, exactly. We have we we have space for that. So absolutely, I do go out and ask for help because even when it comes to asking for help, the worst they can say is no. I don't want to help you. We do have a very important question that we've talked about, and that is, you might be good at five things and three things you're not good at. You have to pick people or companies for those three. So give some insight into what you look for to pick the right companies, vendors first, what would you do? Yeah, so, you know, it's a tough one because you're absolutely right. You know, you go work with the wrong vendor, that just could completely blow up everything that you're trying to do. I think of it as a three-step process. One, you've got to interview. Interview the vendor 
and interview once, twice, three times. By interview, meaning ask as many questions as you need to to really get to know them. All too often, what we'll do is we'll have this like one-off conversation. I'll be in a hurry to get to my next meeting. I've just got 15 minutes, da-da-da-da. You know, you go over superficial stuff and think, oh, yeah, it's okay. They're a big name. I've heard of them. It's, it's fine. But no. I mean, I think that can really lead you into a trap. This whole interviewing the vendor process, uh, it's hard to get to know anyone or any company or any vendor business in one meeting firstly. The other thing is they need to get to know you as well. They might be trying to do a sell job or whatever, but, you know, if instinct is big, if you feel like you just don't get along or personality, I mean, that also counts for something as good as the software product might be. If, if the sales rep, you know, or the account rep is somebody you're not going to get along with or you're not, is not going to give you service, you need to be able to glean that stuff. The other thing is references, 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 references. It's just so important to um, have somebody else basically vet them, validate them, say that they are good people or good to work with or they deliver. It's one of the things why I'm very wary. I'm very interested in sort of NFT and metaverse projects. But, you know, as I try to find, you know, team members for that, a lot of them are the other side of an icon. I've never seen them. I don't know them. They've got you know, names like Poochie Poo and <laughs> I never know who. No, it's true. Tracy, she took my name. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Don't know who you are. <laughs> exactly. When I ask them, actually, I haven't come to the third thing, but when I ask them to show me their work, they'll point to, oh, this is the work I've done. But when I ask them for references, many of them are like, well, for references, can I just show you my work? No, I need references as well. I need other people to say, yes, go work, you know, with Tracy and with Peter. And the third thing is show me your work, right? There is nothing that will prove to me that you are worthy more than the work that you have already done. So what is it that you've done that you can point to, you can talk about, a portfolio of projects, a specific case study, whatever it might be. And I think when those three things come together, that conversation with you, the interview, the proof of work, and the reference from somebody else about that work that you've done, that's when I can really say, okay, this is a vendor I want to work with. Interview, reference, work. That's it. Yeah. All right. So now, does that same thing apply to hiring people? Because someone once told me, what are you going to do with the money you get? And I, the answer was, I'm going to do, take the money and hire people that are smarter than I am. And I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> it is a good idea. I think it's a great idea. But I think, you know, the same three things apply. Um, because vendors uh, are vendors you will also hire. People are people you will hire. And the same three things you know, apply. You want to make sure that you hire someone you can get along with who knows the work better than you do, who's not going to take the money and waste it, burn it, or, you know, go party with it, whatever the case might be. So those same three things have to actually apply. It's amazing when I look at my kids and they go and look for jobs and they have interviews. Again, they've got this 15-minute one-off interview and at the end of that, somebody's saying, oh, you're hired or you're not hired. And I'm just thinking... When I started out in, in the working world, I mean, we would go through a whole day, six interviews, all teams interviewing you. I mean, that's how you get to know them and they get to know you. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, very, very easy. 
best way to do it is just to go to my website, which is www.renita.com, R-E-E-N-I-T-A. That's my name. Uh, Renita.com. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Reenie Mal, R-E-E-N-Y-M-A-L. I'm on Instagram, Renita underscore storyteller. And are you willing to provide your podcast? Absolutely. Oh, Oh my gosh. Most important thing, I've got two podcasts. Please check them out. One is the True Fiction Project, which really marries together non-fictional interviews with fiction to explore where fiction comes from. And my other podcast, my narrative fiction, uh, why a fantasy fiction series is called Shadow Realm. Uh, if you visit my website, renita.com, and you visit the podcast tab, you will see both of them right there. So please come by. I would love you to listen to both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brian Radio Show, KHS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.